Years ago when we lived in Florida, we were uh, coming back from the beach on a Saturday afternoon, which was a couple miles from our house, and I know that sounds pretty good right now, doesn't it? But we were just about to get back in the van after having been out at the beach. I think my folks were visiting from Georgia at the time. And you know how it is when you go out to the beach for a big chunk of the day. It's like setting up camp and then taking it down and dragging it all back to the car. And I was trying to stuff all that stuff with sand and salt water back in the van. And my phone rang and I answered it. And it was one of my staff members at church. And he asked me a question. Now, the question that I heard had a real simple answer. And the answer was, yeah, sure, that's fine. The question he was asking in reality was a very different question, a question whose answer, which answer was probably no, but let's talk about it. Well, he got my answer, which was yes, and it set some plans in motion that I didn't know about until the next morning, which was Sunday, and there was stuff already happening And I was like, oh boy, this is not good. And so I had to go back to his office the next week and say, we got to backtrack a little bit and step back and think about this before we move forward. Okay, no big deal. Well, it was a big deal, okay? I didn't recognize it at the time, but it really upset the staff member, and he was super disappointed in me and, you know, where we were going on a couple things, and it was a problem between us for quite a while. And so I recognized things weren't right. I went to him, talked to him, said, you know, I want to ask forgiveness for this, and it didn't get any better. And I went back a few months later and asked forgiveness again. And he said, sometimes you just don't feel like forgiving. Okay. And our relationship was never the same because of his disappointment in that moment. Now, I don't know exactly everything that was going on in his heart because we can't read each other's minds or each other's feelings, but what I do know is that there are times in life when disappointment can move in to hate. And we're in this series that we're calling Love Hate because we're thinking about how hate can be a powerful force in our lives, a negative force that destroys our relationships and can destroy us. And how does the power of love overcome that hate? And so we've been dealing with some of the causes of hate. And today, I want us to think about disappointment. Because disappointment really can move into hate and destroy a lot of relationships. Now, the good news is we're not the first ones to deal with this. Because certainly in Scripture, we see people who dealt with disappointment just like we do. And I want us to look at a story that we find about just that in Acts chapter 15. Now, if you know a lot about the book of Acts, what you know is in Acts 15, we find the story of the Jerusalem Council. What's that? That's when several or a lot of Christian leaders came back to Jerusalem to deal with an important question. And it was really one question. The question was this, does a Gentile have to become a Jew before they can become a Christian? Now, we hear that question, we go, well, duh, that's not real hard, right? But for them it was. Now, why? Because Jesus was a Jew, all the disciples are Jews, all the early followers of Jesus, they're all Jewish, so it was sort of like, okay, if you want to become a Christian, you got to walk through Judaism to get there. And that means you got to obey all 613 commands that are found in the Old Testament. Now, it was hard enough for someone who was raised as a Jew 
but even harder for Gentiles who were unfamiliar with all the food laws, this law, that law, to obey all of that just to follow Jesus. Now, lots of Christian leaders came to Jerusalem to deal with this question, and among them were two, Paul and Barnabas. Now, Paul and Barnabas had been sent out by the church in Antioch to the north of Jerusalem. They had gone to Cyprus and then Turkey, and they had been sharing the message of Jesus with people who had never heard it before. Some of them Jews, but lots of them Gentiles. And Paul and Barnabas, their message was, God is at work, God is moving, and it's a new thing that God is doing. It's fulfilled what God was doing in the law, and this new thing Jesus is open to everyone. Jews, Gentiles, anyone who will listen. Okay? So you can guess what their answer was to that question when they got back to Jerusalem for this council. Now this relationship between Paul and Barnabas was an important one in the life of the early church. Paul had been a man who had persecuted Christians, arrested them, dragged them back to Jerusalem for trial, and then he began to follow Jesus because of this amazing moment when Jesus appeared to him, spoke to him directly. And he began to work among Christians, but you can imagine some of those Christians were a little suspicious of Paul. Like, what is he doing? Do we really know that he's become a follower of Jesus? Maybe he just wants to get on the inside so he can find out more of who we are and arrest even more people. But Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, was just that to Paul. An encourager, a mentor. In fact, he vouched for Paul and said, we need to bring this guy into ministry. He has amazing gifts and abilities for sharing Jesus. We need to accept him and allow him to be a spokesman for Jesus. And that's exactly what happened. When the church gathered in Jerusalem, they came up with an answer to this question about Jews and Gentiles becoming Christians. And the answer was pretty simple. No, you don't have to follow all the Old Testament law to be a Christian. You just got to believe in Jesus. And then they began to spread out and share that message. In fact, Paul said, you know what, Barnabas? We went to Turkey and we went to Cyprus and we shared the message of Jesus and lots of people became Christians and we started churches. And I think we should go back and take this news from Jerusalem, but also encourage these Christians who are still pretty new in their faith. And Barnabas said, that sounds like a great idea. Let's make plans. And you know what? Let's take my cousin John Mark, just like we did last time. And Paul said, hang on here. I don't think that's such a good idea. This is how it plays out. Acts chapter 15, verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Key phrase is he had deserted them. Now the story is told back in Acts chapter 13. If you want to read it, you can read it there, but... But they're on that first journey through Cyprus and Turkey. And when they get to Turkey, it just says John Mark left and went back home. There's not a lot of drama there, not a lot of explanation. Seems like no big deal. Well, to Paul, it was a big deal. 
You know, when we read that story, it's like, well, I wonder if Mark just found out somebody was sick or if Mark decided his gifts would be best used at home rather than on this journey. Maybe he was just tired of it. We don't know, but it doesn't seem like it matters that much. But when we get down to chapter 15, it mattered to Paul. That word deserted. It sounds like Paul is saying we were depending on him. He was part of our team. He had duties, responsibilities, and he walked away. And I don't want to get stuck again. I don't want to depend on John Mark and find out halfway that he's headed back home and we got to pick up the slack. I'm not doing it. Barnabas didn't agree. Their positions became very polarized. Verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement. It's a very strong word in the Greek. A sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, which was where Barnabas was from. Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, and Cilicia was Paul's homeland, strengthening the churches. So we have Barnabas, son of encouragement, related to John Mark. Paul's not related to them. This is family. Barnabas, the encourager, says, let me take this young man. I want to give him another chance. Let's do ministry together. And they go to Cyprus. Paul chooses someone else. They go to Syria and Cilicia. And we never hear from Barnabas again. We don't know what happened. Now, we know a lot about Paul, right? More journeys, arrest, lots of letters, goes to Rome, all the stuff we know about Paul. And we have three more mentions of John Mark. In one place in Peter's letters, he shows up with Peter doing ministry there together. But then we have two other mentions of John Mark, both in Paul's letters. The first we find in Colossians, Colossians chapter 4. And what we know about Colossians is that Paul is in prison. He either wrote it Maybe from Ephesus, about eight years after all this happened in Jerusalem and they parted company, or maybe later on in Rome, 15 years or so, okay? So it's been a matter of years. And Paul is in prison, and he's sort of laying out who's with him, what's going on at the end of the letter, and this is what he says in Colossians 4, verse 10, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. It's as though Paul is, is vouching for Mark. You, you know about Mark. You know Barnabas' cousin. Uh, if he comes to you, take care of him. Paul's making sure that he's cared for. One more mention. 2 Timothy from what we know, this is at the end of Paul's ministry, maybe the end of his life. Second Timothy is maybe the last letter that Paul wrote. So when we come to the end of this letter, this is the, the very end. This is some of the last words that we have recorded by the Apostle Paul. He is in prison. He may be facing death. He doesn't know what's next. And he wants Timothy to come. And he wants one other person. 2 Timothy 4, verse 9, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Another person who has disappointed Paul. Crescens has gone on to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. 
Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So what happened? I mean, in Acts 15, Paul is so disappointed in this young guy who walked away, who deserted them. I don't know that he hated him, but that's where it leads if we're not careful. And then in Colossians, things are obviously better. He's vouching for Mark, wanting him taken care of. And we get to 2 Peter, 2 Timothy. And Mark is the one he wants to come. Two people. He wants Timothy, who's this young sort of apprentice in ministry. And he wants Mark. So how did this come about? I mean, did... Did Mark go to Paul and say, listen, I, I, I know I blew it. I know I failed. I know I disappointed you. I need another chance. I, I matured. I've changed. Can I be part of what you're doing? We don't know. Did Paul go to Mark and say, you know what? I, I was really disappointed. You shouldn't have walked away, but but I want to give you another chance. I want to invite you back in. We don't know that. We don't know any of the details of this relationship after Acts 15, except that somewhere along the way, these two men came back together and Paul found it within himself to overcome his disappointment at Mark's failure and invite him back in his life and in his ministry. And he became a key player in what Paul was doing. Somehow he was able to overcome that disappointment, to keep that disappointment from becoming hate and overtaking him and invite him back in. And of course we remember Mark from one other place. We have four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The oldest manuscripts that we have of those Gospels don't really have a title, don't have a name of who wrote it, unless it's in the text, and it's not in the second Gospel. But the oldest traditions we have are that Mark, John Mark, Barnabas' cousin, Paul's companion, is the author of the second Gospel. Now, scholars don't know this for sure either, but a lot of them believe that Mark was the first of those four Gospels that was written down. So it may be that this John Mark, who so disappointed Paul that Paul wanted to have nothing to do with him, was the first one to actually write down the story of Jesus' life that we have available to us today. Somewhere along the way, Paul let him back in. And it made such a difference, even for us now. And it leaves me with this lesson. Don't allow failure to be fatal in your relationships. Don't allow failure to be fatal in your relationships. 
We are all going to be disappointed in some people around us. It will happen. We can guarantee it. And we are going to disappoint others. Don't let it be fatal to your relationships. Now, with that caveat that we have to say, sort of along the way on almost every message this series, there are times, right? There are times when someone's failure is so hurtful and harmful and maybe even intentional that we have to allow the relationship to die because it's too destructive. Because we can't allow ourselves to be hurt again and again and again and again and again. Now we need to forgive that person, but we not, may not be able to open ourselves up to that person again. But I think that's the exception. More often than not, we do much better when we recognize that what Paul did somewhere along the way, that we've got to give people another chance. That even though they disappoint us, even though they fail, they deserve another shot. And they just might earn their way back to being on the inside. They might be someone that we depend on greatly. Because they do mature. Because they do grow. And it might be that we need to have some kind of conversation and talk about the failure that happened. Why did it happen? How can we prevent this from happening? Not just so you don't hurt me, but because so you can become a more healthy person, so your relationships will be better in the future. Those are things we need to talk about. But we need to be careful that our hate does not stem from our disappointment. Don't allow failure to be fatal in your relationships. It is not easy to get past our disappointment. It is not easy to get over what has happened in the past and give people another chance and earn their way back in. But the payoff can be so great. Years ago, I was in my very first preaching ministry. I was young, mid-twenties, going through lots of stuff for the first time, trying to figure it out, making lots of mistakes, Came to our first election of officers, right? First time I had been through that. And we had people on the ballot for elder, deacon, trustee, lots of different things. And it was the tradition in that church for the trustees to count the ballots. So everyone marked their ballot at the end of the service and the trustees took their ballots and went in the back room and they counted them together and they came out and I could tell things were not exactly right and I found out quickly why. One of the men who was on the ballot to be elected as a deacon was voted down. And that was not going to be a pleasant thing. It would be embarrassing, right? I mean, this is a guy who had been in that church for many, many years, decades. His family, his wife, his son, very involved. He was going to be destructive. I was just heartbroken about that. And later on that afternoon, the elders looked through those ballots. And what they found was, and I think this is how it happened, it's 25 years ago, okay? So give me a little slack here. Could be wrong. The way the ballot was worded was, do you approve of this person serving in this office, elder, deacon, whatever it was? Yes or no? And because nobody really gave them any instruction, these trustees had counted if, if it was yes, yes, no, no, clearly. But if it was left blank, they counted all those as no's as well. 
Well, that was not what was really intended, and the elders looked through it, and it was really clear that if you just counted yes and no's and left the blanks out, everybody was very easily elected to the office they were up for. And so we went and talked to this guy who'd been voted down and calmed all that down and said, no, 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 everything's fine, you've been elected. But I soon found out that one of the trustees, Vernon McQueen, was really upset because he felt like we had not handled this well at all. We hadn't invited the trustees back in. He felt like it seemed dishonest, didn't know what happened, was not coming back to church, really upset with all of us. I talked to his son and asked what we could do. He said, I don't know. I mean, you can try going out there. I don't know if he'll let you in. I don't know if he'll talk to you. I don't know. And I was really heartbroken about it because this is a man who was an encourager to me, a lot older than me, but a really good, solid individual. And I could understand why he was upset. But that week I took one of the other men in the church and we went to visit Vernon and he did let us in the house. And we sat down with him and his wife. But I can tell you it was, it was frosty in that room, okay? It was chilly. The emotions were very high. And we finally talked about why we'd actually come. And I said, Vernon, I'm sorry. We didn't handle this right. It didn't look good. I can tell you there was no, nothing that was dishonest about it, but we did not handle it correctly. And I'm sorry you're upset. Sorry we've offended you. And I hope we can figure it out. And Vernon, who's, again, an older man, stood up and walked across the room where we were sitting in his living room and he stands up, walks over to me and I'm not, I wasn't scared of him, but I was like, what is he doing? You know, what's next? He came over to me and he said, my dad taught me if somebody's man enough to come apologize, I should forgive him. And he put out his hand and I shook it and we never talked about it again. And he was the same kind, encouraging thoughtful man he had always been every Sunday from then on out. And as you think about that, I've told two stories of men who were really disappointed in me, in something I had done. Let me just challenge you to do this. Next time you disappoint somebody else. And then next time someone disappoints you. Think about which way you'd like to be treated. Let's pray together. God, we know disappointment and failure are just part of life. We failed you in powerful ways. We fail each other, sometimes in powerful ways. And we ask that you would empower us to both offer and receive forgiveness when it's needed so that our failure isn't fatal to all our relationships. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.